All right, I want to invite everybody to please stand and open your Bibles. Or if you use your phone, you can turn it on to Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Romans 1, 16 and 17. If you do not have your Bible on your smartphone or a Bible, there's some in the pews and will also be up on the screen. All right, this is God's word for God's people, for Jesus' glory. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for this wonderful day. Lord, I thank you for this place. I thank you for every person who is here today. Father, I thank you for those who are joining us online, even for those who will join us five hours from now, tomorrow, throughout the week. We thank you for your word that it is living, it is active, it is sharper than any double-edged sword. It is like a hammer that can break any hard heart. It is fire that warms and melts any cold heart. Speak to us today, Holy Spirit. Be our teacher. Give me your words. And Jesus, we praise you. You are the good and great shepherd. You know your sheep by name. You know exactly what we need. And we pray that you would so work in our hearts that we would be able to grasp how wide and high, far and deep your love that you have for us, Father so that Jesus is glorified in everything we say and do. And we ask these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I want to welcome you to the church at Woodbine. For those who don't know me, my name is Doug Jones, and I'm the campus and teaching pastor here. For those online, we're so glad you can join us today. And our hope and prayer is that you truly would be, that Christ would be deeply rooted in your hearts and that you would be able to grasp how wide and high and far and deep the love of God is that he has for you, and that you would understand that our Heavenly Father can do far more, far greater than what we could possibly ask or even imagine. Last week, we started a new series. It's called our Vision Series. Every year in October, we kind of go through a vision series. And we looked at the book of Acts, chapter 13, the church at Antioch. It's what we looked at this past summer. And we saw that the church of Antioch, they had apostles and prophets and evangelists, better known as apes. And it was a worship-driven church full of prayer and fasting. And they had a Holy Spirit-driven mission that changed, radically changed the entire Roman world. Well, today, as we go into our vision series, there are five values. Say five. Five. And say it real Southern. Five. Five values that we're going to look at. The first one is the gospel first and always. The second one is being uniquely called. The third value, and that's in two weeks from today, is intentionally innovative. The fourth Sunday, or the fourth value that we're going to look at is crossing cultures. And then number five, multiplication matters. And we're going to look at these values, and there's different passages that we'll look at. But the value today is the gospel first and always. But before we begin, I want to teach you a little bit of Spanish. There is a phrase in Spanish called me caes bien. Me caes bien. There's another phrase called me caes gordo. 
And as I was learning Spanish, literally, me caes bien means you fall well with me. And as I'm learning Spanish, I'm saying, I'm thinking, you fall well with me. Like, you fall well with me. Doesn't make any sense. And me caes gordo is you fall fat with me. So as you're trying to learn a new language, you're left with like, me caes bien. What does that mean? What me caes bien means, me caes bien means, I like you. You're cool. So I'd hear it all the time with the kids, the teenagers. Yeah, me caes bien. Yeah, I like you. You're a cool dude. Every once in a while, someone's saying, oh, me caes bien gordo, Diego. I don't like you. Man, the Spanish people are loving it, aren't you? But when you're learning the language, sometimes words and phrases don't make a lick of sense. Think of English, beating around the bush, barking up a tree. He must be a happy camper. I mean, we'd say it all the time. Words have meaning, and meaning has significance. And significance has incredible value. The gospel, first and always. At the end of every pew, there's a three-by-five card. It's blank. Please reach out and grab them, pass them down. There should be some up on up in the balcony as well. There should be pens or pencils in the pew. If you've got a pen or pencil, please take a three-by-five card. And we're going to do a little bit of classwork today. Do a little bit of writing. For those of you guys who don't know what a pencil is, it's a long, little skinny stick with some lead in the middle, and you can actually mark, mark stuff on a piece of paper. You don't have to do like this. Right at the top of this page, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? And then I want you to take a couple moments and write your definition down. What is the gospel? And see, we're in that me culture right now. What is your definition of the gospel? What is your gospel? What is your truth? Woo, crazy, scary. What is the gospel? Here's your question right there. What is the gospel? And write your answer down. I want everybody to do it. We're going to take time. If you are online, grab a piece of paper and write your definition down. What is the gospel? Hunter, I probably should ask to get some of that song, you know, that do-do-do-do. What was that name of that game show a long time ago? Jeopardy, yeah. I'm trying not to be distracted. But write down, what is the gospel. If you're not doing it, you're being a very bad student. I'm just messing with you. Remember, words have meaning. Meaning has significance. And significance impacts our lives. All righty. For those online, it is quiet as a mouse in here. Let's stand again. We're going to look at Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. We're going to read it again. So everybody, please stand. If you haven't finished your answer, that is okay. You can continue writing. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. This is what Paul said to the Roman church here in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. There it is, the gospel. Because it is the power of God, the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. All right, you may be seated. Here, Romans chapter one, real quick, Romans one. Romans one is the largest, longest letter that Paul wrote. 
Most theologians think that he wrote it in his third missionary journey. If you remember, Paul and, and Barnabas were sent out from the church at Antioch. They were the first formal official missionaries to go out. And Paul went on three missionary trips, three missionary journeys. Some of them lasted for years. And on his third missionary journey, he was in Corinth. Most theologians think that he wrote this letter to the Romans, to the Roman church. That's not the Roman Catholic church. The Roman Catholic church still had not existed yet. This is the early church. Paul had never been to Rome, though he knew a lot of Christians in Rome. The Roman church didn't know Paul yet. But after years of planting churches and preaching, teaching in the eastern half of the Roman Empire, Paul felt like he was done in the east. And the church hadn't gotten to the west. Way back in the first century, the only churches were right around the Mediterranean Sea. In Russia, China, India, Europe, North America, South America, there were no Christians yet. It was slowly expanding out. And Paul felt called and compelled to go to Spain. And in Romans chapter 15, he specifically says it. The reason I'm coming to you is to encourage you and you encourage me. And I need financial help to get to Spain to proclaim the gospel and start churches in Spain because the gospel compels me to go. And since the Roman church didn't know Paul, he felt compelled and led by Holy Spirit to write this letter, the book of Romans, the letter of Romans. And it is a deep theological dive. We could spend years studying this book. So Paul writes to the Romans, and he addresses several issues. Theological issues, problems, questions, and division amongst Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. And Paul also introduces himself. So right here in chapter 1, and for homework... You can read Romans 1, and you will see the gospel all throughout it. But right here in verse 16 and his 17, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. There it is. What is the gospel? Here in these two verses, in Romans 16 and 17, there are five highlights that I want to focus on briefly out of Romans 16 and 17. The first one is this. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why would he say that? Why would Paul say in some of the very first paragraphs of this huge letter, why would he say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? Is there a reason to be ashamed of the gospel? Who here has been ashamed of knowing Jesus? Raise your hand. Have you ever been embarrassed being a Christian? Oh, there's a bunch of liars in here. I, I have. I have a bunch. And I'm just throwing stones at you guys. There are times when I'm ashamed that I love Jesus, depending on who I'm with. And it's embarrassing. And I confess it to the Lord, forgive me for being timid. But Jesus himself, when he was living on this earth, he told his disciples, the world will hate you because they first hated me. Jesus said, because of me, you will face trials, temptations, and tribulations. You will suffer for the sake of the gospel. Paul wrote to Timothy, one of his own disciples. He said, if anyone wants to live a godly life, he will be persecuted. So there is this temptation to be ashamed of Jesus and to be ashamed and embarrassed of the gospel. Think about it in our culture today. What are most Christians labeled as? Racist, bigots, homophobes. We are. 
Does the boot fit? But Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Paul also suffered for the gospel. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was thrown in prison. He was stoned. Paul knows firsthand the sufferings of following Christ. And yet he boldly declares, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. What's my favorite color? Orange. Good, Wes, you've barely been here and you already know. Why? Because I love UT football. And I've had 15 years of being ashamed of UT football because we're terrible. Until, no. Have you ever been ashamed of Jesus? The first one, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The second one is this. The gospel is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. Now, there's a long phrase after it, for everyone who believes. And that's important. We'll look at that in a few minutes. But the gospel is the power of God. The kingdom of God, it says in 2 Corinthians, the kingdom of God, 420. 1 Corinthians 420, I think that's right, or 2 Corinthians 420, Chris. This is what Paul says to the Corinthian church. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. The Lord has really pressed this verse on me a lot this week. Because I've seen in my own life the shrinking of faith of believing in God's power. The gospel has power to what? Save lives, forgive sin, transform lives, transform families, transform marriages, heal bodies, heal minds. When we encounter someone who is physically sick, one of our first go tos. Should be, can I pray for you and trust and pray that Jesus heal you? Why? Because there's power in the gospel. The Bible says that Jesus' wounds on his body heal us of our sicknesses. That is why we pray for the sick. But it's not just the nice Christian thing to do. We should pray with faith that God will extend his hand and his mercy and heal people. And if you've seen physical miracles, it will blow you away. But not just the physical power, a mental power, emotional healing, mental healing, the power to transform lives and relationships, the power to bring healing between between two people that hate each other and bring reconciliation, or even people groups for there to be reconciliation. The gospel has power. That's the second one. The gospel has power. It's the power of God. Number three, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Is there anyone Jewish here? Does anyone here have Jewish blood? You don't have to be ashamed of it. Okay, all of us are Gentiles. Oh, Silas, you do? Awesome. All of us but Silas, we're Gentiles. And up until Jesus' day, We were excluded from the covenant. We were excluded from all of God's promises. We were excluded and we weren't citizens of his nation, of his family. Now he wanted us to be. But when Jesus came and when Jesus shed his blood on the cross, he opened those doors for everyone, Jew and Gentile. 
And in the first century, there was so much hostility between Jew here in this version. It says Greek. But the entire Roman culture was a Greek culture. Gentile. There was so much hate and division and volatility. And Paul being a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew of Hebrew, when Holy Spirit smacked him and he came to know Jesus, he began to realize that the gospel of Jesus breaks down all the walls of division between every race, every tongue, every tribe, every people group. And there is one family. There is one nation. Now we are extremely diverse and we celebrate that diversity. And diversity is part of God's plan of being unique and distinct. But there's unity. But in unity doesn't mean uniformity where we all are going to think the same and look the same and be the same. But there's unity and Jesus brings unity and he breaks down the walls. And we have to remember as Gentiles that God still works through his people, the Jewish people, and our Messiah, Jesus. He's Jewish. And that's part of our heritage. It's part of our lineage. And we have been adopted into that family. And it's because of God's great grace. So the gospel, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And we need to pray that there's massive revival within the Jewish nation to return to their Messiah, who is Jesus Christ. And the scripture promises it. So may we pray that it happen. The fourth highlight is this. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. What does that mean? Have you ever seen an injustice where you got so angry, so disturbed that you wanted the guilty party to pay for it? I have. I know of situations and of people where someone has committed a horrific crime and I want them to pay for it. And if a, ju- if a judge would let the murderer off scot-free, There's this righteous indignation inside of us. That's not fair. That's not right. That person needs to pay. Are we not that way? When people sin against us and they harm us and they do something against us, we want them to pay for it. There's an injustice has been done. You know, that inside of you, the desire to see justice is part of being created in God's image. We can distinguish there's a right and there's a wrong. God is a righteous, perfect, holy God. And when he sees evil and sin, when he sees disobedience, when he sees all the immorality, the unethical, the violence, the murder, the rape, the genocide, the greed, the covetousness, when he sees that as a righteous judge, he will call everyone to account and everyone will stand before the throne of Jesus and give account. And God as a just just judge can, if he closes his eyes and just ignores all the sin and evil, he is not a just judge. 
If there is someone who's murdered 10 people and has stolen millions of dollars and has been utterly destructive and they're finally caught by the police and they're brought before a judge and there's proof, there's testimony, there's eyewitnesses, DNA, everything. And if that judge would be like, ah, who cares? Let him go. That's a horrible judge because a good, righteous, just judge is going to make sure that the guilty person receives their just punishment. And God being a just and holy and good judge, he cannot close his eyes to the sins that we all in this whole world have committed. As a good judge, he will judge righteously. At the same time, are you tracking with me? You follow? At the same time, God is a merciful, compassionate, loving, patient God who longs for reconciliation and forgiveness and renewal and new life. And so the gospel, it says it is the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. What is that? And we're going to talk about it more specifically here in a minute. But Jesus on the cross the only perfect human being to ever live, the only sinless human to ever live. God and his forebearance before he created anything knew that his son, Jesus, the eternal God, the eternal second person of the Trinity would come and live as a perfect human being. And then Jesus would take our punishment and all of God's righteous, just wrath and judgment that we as humans so deserve. He pours it out upon his son on the cross And so Jesus, while on the cross and shedding his blood, he takes God's justice and God's mercy in his arms and he brings them together and they're married. That is why the cross, that is why the gospel reveals God's righteousness because in his righteousness, he produces his justice and judges the sin of the world while at the same time bringing great forgiveness and mercy and grace. So the cross, shows us God's judgment and justice while at the same time showing us his mercy and grace. That is his righteousness. That is why when we see Jesus on the cross and we read about it, he is marrying both together so that God's righteousness is revealed. The next one, the final one, the righteous Live by faith. Hebrews 11.6 says that it is impossible to please God without faith. And that when we have faith, the righteous live by faith. You might put in that quote up Hebrews 11.6, Chris. But they now do, ooh, is that it? 16. That's 16. Sorry, I must have did a typo. Hebrews 11.6. Open your Bibles to Hebrews 11.6. Sorry about that, Hunter and Chris. It's my fault. Hebrews 11.6 says this. Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. See, we live by faith and the gospel, the gospel reveals the faith. 
this is really important. That cell phone's going off, so pay attention. The righteous live by faith. We are not sons and daughters of God because we go to church or because we're good people or because we tithe, because we obey the Ten Commandments. We are his sons and daughters because of his great grace and his mercy that he has showered upon us because he loves us eternally. And he gave his son Jesus as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And by putting our faith in Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection, we're then adopted as his sons and daughters. And it is by faith. It's not by being obedient. It's not by self-effort. It's not even based off of our feelings, but it's based off of God's word and his truth. I'll pay attention to that. All right. It is by faith. And so the gospel reveals the righteous living by faith. Those are the five highlights of these two verses here. But I go back. Real quick, quick review. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. The gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. And then the righteous live by faith in the gospel. Again, pull out your note card. What is the gospel? Hold your note card up if you've got it. What is the gospel? What is it? Well, before we dive into what you wrote and what the gospel is, I want to share three false gospels that are very prevalent here in the United States and the world. There are three false gospels, and all three of them have some partial truths to them, but they are not the gospel. The first one is the prosperity gospel. And I want to read something. It won't be on the board, so listen carefully. Everybody listen. Hold your hands up to your ears. Listen. This is the prosperity gospel. The prosperity prosperity gospel teaches that Jesus is a means to health, wealth, and prosperity, as opposed to a Savior who reconciles us to God. You see, one of the false gospels is the prosperity gospel that God wants you healthy, wealthy, and happy. Now, God does bless us. And God can bring incredible healing. We talked about that early because the gospel is the power of God for everyone who believes. But one of the false gospels that is preached in in the fastest growing church in the world is the prosperity gospel preached in these churches where God wants you healthy, wealthy, and happy. It's a false gospel. There's some truth in it, but that is not the gospel. The second false gospel is the personal gospel. And this is the one that can come so close to us as evangelicals, as believers, because many of our worship songs hover in the personal gospel. Here's the personal gospel. It is the self-help gospel that is all about you. It is filled with self-help preaching and motivational speeches, encouraging you to become a better person, be more productive, defeat your Goliaths, and part your own Red Sea. It's a me-centered message where the focal point of the message falls directly on how you think, feel, and act, elevating us as humans and using the Bible to justify it. Do I need to read that again? 
That is the personal gospel. Again, there are some truths flaked all in it. But the gospel is not about you and me. It's about King Jesus and who he is and what he's done. The third gospel that is false is the political gospel. The political gospel. And this is it. It's not about a particular president or political party, but the emphasis is on placing our hope and trust in a particular political party or system, placing more value on them instead of Jesus. We are not called to, be, to ignore or be silent within the political arena, but we are called to engage it differently, knowing that regardless of who is in the Oval Office, leading our Congress or sitting on the Supreme Court, they are all subject to the King of Kings and our future is secure. So the third false gospel is a political gospel. Be careful who we put our hope and trust in. I've lived for almost 50 years and I've heard it, I've understood it for probably 35. Oh, if we could only get this president or this political party or this person on the Supreme Court, then we can A, B, C, E, F, G, X, Y, Z. It's King Jesus. He is our hope. He is our security. We're called to engage politically. We're called to pray for political leaders. And I'll just throw this out there. What would your prayer life be like if you prayed more for our president and Congress and Supreme Court? If you did that just as much as we complain, I'll leave it like that. So these are the three false gospels that are very prevalent in our society. What is the gospel? 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. This is the gospel according to God's word. Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he says, for I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That is the gospel. That is it. That Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose from the dead. That is the gospel. Romans 5, 8 says it another way, but very similar. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is the gospel right here. It's not the Ten Commandments. It's not going to church. It's not being obedient. It's not fulfilling a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's not being a good person. The gospel is simply this. God loves you so much that he gave his one and only son who is perfect in every way. And he took your sin, my sin, the sins of the world. He shed his blood on the cross and he received our just punishment. He died on that cross and he was buried. And three days later, he rose again from the dead, conquering sin and death and the grave. And that anyone who confesses Jesus as Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead will be saved. That is the gospel. About a year and a half ago, two years ago, we did a whole entire sermon series called The Big Story. And there's a picture up here I want to show you. At the top, you see the world, the top, the top world, the top circle. It's the world. And that symbolizes creation. When God created everything and after he created man, after he created humankind, he said, this is very good. 
in creation was perfect and it was awesome and it was amazing. And Adam and Eve in the garden had this amazing relationship with our father. And the Bible says that he, God walked the garden in the evening, in the cool of the day, and he communed with Adam and Eve. God created us, not because he was lonely, but to share his glory. And he created us in his image. And we as humans, every human that has ever lived is created in God's image. It doesn't matter how horrific we are or how good we are in the world's eyes. Every person is an image bearer of our heavenly father. That is an amazing, glorious beauty about who we are as humans. That is why life is so valuable. It's because we're image bearers of God. Yet the circle on the right-hand side, you see all these squigglies. Because Adam and Eve sinned, we inherit their sin nature. All of us are sinful. And I've said this many times. There is no one good. And if you don't believe in original sin, all you need to do is go, go to a nursery with 10 two-year-olds and two Tonka trucks, and you will see sin manifest itself really quick. Because we as humans, all we think about is me, myself, and I when I want it. We are so self-centered, and we're so sinful, and we're born dead in our sins. And so that's what that globe on the right-hand side signifies. The world is not only fractured, but it is completely broken. Have you ever dropped an egg off the shelf and it shatters on the ground? Can you put it back together? No, absolutely not. Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty fell off the wall. All the king's horses and all the king's men. You guys know that's a reflection of the gospel. They couldn't put Humpty back together again. We are unfixable. And yet we try so hard to fix ourselves. We can't. And that is the bad news. We deserve God's wrath. Every last one of us. We deserve to be thrown into hell forever. Because we're sinners. Yet because of God's great love for us, Down below, you see the cross, or not the cross, but the thorn, the crown of thorns. That symbolizes Jesus, his perfect life, tempted in every way, yet he never sinned. And then he died on the cross, shedding his blood. Because see, the Bible says that in order for there to be forgiveness, blood has to be shed. So he sheds his blood in order to open the way. And Jesus says that he's the way, truth, and life. And he will restore all things. So that last, you see the crown here on the left-hand side, that symbolizes the promise that when we die, we'll be in heaven. And one day Jesus will return and he will restore all things. He will judge everyone. And those who are found in Christ, those who believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, are his, well, we're his brothers and sisters. We're part of his kingdom. The Bible says we're co-heirs with him. We will actually sit along with him on his throne and we will praise him and worship him forever in heaven on a new earth, a new heaven where there's no more tears. There's no more pain. There's no more suffering. There's no more death. There's no more evil. And we'll be gathered around the throne for all eternity in perfect harmony with our our God and our Lord and our Savior and with everyone else who believes in Jesus. There'll be no more tears. 
And when we see Jesus face to face, we'll become just like him. It's an incredible hope. It is not a pipe dream. But that's what that fourth, that symbol, that fourth circle of the crown is Jesus will come back and he'll restore all things. This is the gospel. And so we as a church, when we talk about the gospel first and always, this is our focus. It's all about our heavenly father and his great love and his holiness and his goodness. And we sing, we live for him. And with the gospel, there should be numerous aspects of the gospel that should impact us each and every day. The gospel should affect us first personally in the sense of like, do I believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior? I I know most of you. And I know most of you have put your faith in Jesus. But let me tell you, if you're here today or watching online and you have not put your faith in Jesus, I want to tell you, God loves you. He loves you beyond what you could possibly think or imagine. And he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you. And he's offering forgiveness and eternal life and salvation and persecution and trials here on this earth. So hear me clearly. Putting your faith in Jesus does not give, will not promise you an easy, healthy, wealthy, happy life. That's prosperity garbage. But Jesus does promise new life and forgiveness, and he promises to walk with you through thick and thin in every way. And then there's that blessed hope when I die, we'll see Jesus and be with Jesus. You guys know my story. My mom died two months ago. We miss her dearly. I was crying yesterday. I miss her. But I know one day I'll see my mom because she loved Jesus and because of his great grace. My mom's in heaven with my dad. And when I die today, tomorrow, or 30 years from now, who knows? But my joy is not because I'll get to see my mom. Yeah, that's just a side benefit. The main benefit is being in the presence of Jesus forever. But that's the hope we have. But also along with the gospel, not just for us, but every person we come in contact with, our supervisors, our employees, our neighbors, those of another political persuasion or who believe something differently or those who have a different Oh, gosh. Those on the border. I've heard so many comments. Well, you know, all those illegals coming in. When we truly grasp the gospel, we will then begin to look and see everyone and understand and realize they are an image bearer of our Heavenly Father. And they might be a horrific sinner, but so are we. And I need to treat them as an image bearer of my king that will radically change how we treat people. The gospel first and always, it should impact how we see ourselves no longer as slaves, but as a son or daughter of the king. Worship team, I want to invite you back up. The gospel when it's first and always should impact how we live, how we treat our spouse, how we treat our children, how we treat our parents, how we treat our neighbors. It should impact how we treat our employees, how we work, how we serve, because we understand that God has given us so many gifts and talents and abilities, and we offer back to him. You see, there's three verses I want to end with, and I want to invite everybody to please stand. But here's our response to the gospel being first and always. Our first response is this, honor God with your body. You see, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, 
This is what 1 Corinthians 6.20 says. It says, you have been bought with a price. Jesus has bought you with his precious blood. And because he's bought you, we honor him with our body. That is everything, mind, heart, body. We honor him. The second response should be this. Live a life by faith in Jesus. You see, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 19 and 20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. So our second response should be offering ourselves as a living sacrifice to our King. The third response is this, ambassadors of reconciliation. You see, Jesus came to reconcile us back to the Father. And in the same way, we are ambassadors. If we love Jesus, we are his ambassadors for reconciliation, first and foremost with him and all those around us. But also, we should be ambassadors of reconciliation with our friends and our family, our neighbors, encouraging others to be reconciled one to another forgiving each other, asking for forgiveness, humbling ourselves. How is Jesus speaking to you today? We're going to worship and sing, meditate on these three responses. Let's worship him.